We're back, baby. I'm Sierra. And I'm Kaylee. And this is True Crime and Punishment. This week, before we get into our case, which will be about the disappearance of Brandon Swanson, we're going to explain the disappearance of Sierra. <laughs> <laughs> From off the face of the earth. Um, that is entirely my fault. <laughs> um, basically, we had an episode three ready to go up. I thought I posted it. We had it recorded. Yeah, it was- we did. We had it recorded. Um, <laughs> and then we had to... We were going to record it. We record. Did we record it? We did record it. We recorded it like before I left. So in. We had to, re- is we had to record it twice. But basically I went home to visit my family and I didn't bring my mic. <laughs> and so I had to order a new mic and then we had to record it and then it was late. And then I was not in my hometown. Uh, I was in my hometown. I wasn't in the state I live. I- <laughs> Basically, I was out of town. I didn't edit it until I was in an airport, which, by the way, you don't know how stupid you feel editing a murder podcast where you have to listen to your stupid voice through your own AirPods in an like, airport just waiting to fly back home and just like, please don't let me see anyone that I see <laughs> or I know. Um, and then I edited it and didn't post it. And I thought I'd posted it. And then I couldn't find the thing that I know I edited it. Edited <laughs> that I know I edited, so I had to re-edit it when Sierra got back and was like, "Hey, you didn't post the third part because Sierra was like off the face of the, the yeah, earth for a couple months. She's off the grid. She's off the grid. So that was my bad. I should post something. I didn't. Um, I have a tendency to like instead of posting it and then listening to it, which is what I'm gonna have to do now to make sure it's gone up. I just would post it and like close the tab, close my laptop, and walk away. Uh, and that works great for my anxiety when <laughs> when I actually post the episode. But yeah, that's on me. But we're back now. Yeah. We're back. And that episode is up. So if you haven't heard part three of the West Memphis Three, you should go give it a listen because it's good. <laughs> I think I honestly don't remember from when we recorded it. I remember editing it the second time and being like, man, we sound so smart sometimes. <laughs> so anyway, we are back. We're back and we're going to be on a more regular schedule. Yeah. Can't make any grand grandiose promises because mm, even when we do it doesn't always work uh, well even when i do it doesn't always work out um but we are gonna stick to the posting on sundays because i just yeah works, works for our schedule but yeah that's where we've been now let's talk about where someone else has been sierra is um doing our first episode of this season so without further ado take it away sierra all right For this one, we actually don't know where this person has been. It's been several years um, since the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. So let's go back to the day of the disappearance, or actually the day before. On May 13th of 2008, 19-year-old Brandon Swanson finished his first year at Minnesota West Community and Technical College. He was celebrating, obviously, because it was the end of the semester, the start of summer, and he was hanging out with friends at various parties until way until well past midnight. So it was May 13th, then it transitioned over to May 14th. After midnight, around 1.54 a.m., he called his parents saying that he had driven into a ditch in Lind, Minnesota, which was a town near to his hometown, and he wasn't able to get home, and he asked them to come and find him. Um, His father said later that he was absolutely positive that he knew where he was. They stayed on the phone. They drove out to find him, but they could not find him at the location he said he was at. 
They searched, they tried their lights. They were still talking with him on the phone to try to get more information, but nothing was working. And Brandon was actually getting frustrated with them because they couldn't see him. According to different sources, the father drove Brandon's mom back home and then he went back out to search for Brandon and enlisted some help from friends. He had been talking with him on the phone, carrying on a very long conversation with him. Brandon had decided that instead of staying at the car, he was actually going to walk to the parking lot of a nightclub and meet his father there. As Brandon was walking toward this nightclub, or thought he was walking toward this nightclub, he was on the phone with his dad, when suddenly he shouted an expletive, and Brandon's father heard nothing more from him. Uh, Brandon's father said later that they tried to call him back five or six more times, but there was no answer. At this point, they were really freaked out. They enlisted the help of friends, according to one article, to look for him. And then finally, at 6.30 a.m., Brandon's mother, Annette, called the Lind County Police, or the Lind Police Department, and said and asked for their help. It took them a while to join the search. Their response was delayed because there were no suspicious circumstances surrounding Brandon's disappearance. There appeared to be no sign of criminal mischief. It seems like he had just gotten lost and he was over the age of 18. He was no longer a child. So it wasn't like a case where a child is endangered. So, yeah. Yeah. So the response was delayed. And one of the police officers actually told Annette that her son had a right to be missing. Ugh. See, this is the hard part about when over 18s go missing. There's this thing that I think we get from TV and popular true crime cases is the 24-hour mark that you have to wait 24 hours to report someone missing. That's not true. Well, it's not true in the sense that if you have reason to believe, like you see someone get snatched off the streets, you call the police immediately. If you come home and your house is covered in like debris there's obviously been a struggle you call the police immediately you don't have to wait 24 hours just because they're over the age of 18 you can contact police immediately and if you have reason to believe that whoever has disappeared would not disappear of their own free will or if they did disappear of their own free will but they were not mentally in a stable situation or they weren't mentally in a good place to make the decision to disappear um, the case of someone who's suicidal or has struggled with drug use or something like that, you can call the cops right away and they're not going to tell you, we'll call us back in 24 hours. But then you have cases where people do disappear mysteriously and since they're over 18, they're just going to say, well, we can't really do anything about it. They're of legal age. So that's rough. Yeah. They did join the search eventually and they were able to track his cell phone to find the car. Now, his cell phone was not in the car, but they did discover the car. And the interesting thing about this was it was not where Brandon said he had gone into the ditch. He told his parents he had gone into the ditch in near Lind, Minnesota. However, his car was discovered near Porter, Minnesota. Other sources also say Taunton, but Taunton and Porter are very close to each other. Mm. They were not able to find much in the car, but they did find his glasses. Which was interesting because he was legally blind in his left eye. Hmm. Yeah. But as far as I know, they didn't see any signs of a struggle. They also didn't see many footprints. Huh. There was grass and gravel around. So an officer reporting later about the case said it would make sense you wouldn't find the footprints. You wear glasses, Sierra. Do you wear glasses? Yes. (laughs) Question. I mean, I do. I don't wear them regularly and I don't need them at night. That sounds stupid. I don't. 
I need them for like computer-based activities and reading and stuff. Would you ever set out on foot at night without your glasses? Is there any reason that you wouldn't want them? It, what is it? <laughs> no, I would <laughs> my glasses. Now I have left like my home before without my glasses, but I would never drive without them, and. I wouldn't take them off if I had crashed somewhere. I needed to walk somewhere in the dark in the wee hours of the morning. Mm. But he's also very frazzled. And here's something that's an important detail to note. Brandon's friends said that he had not drunk enough to be intoxicated, but he had been drinking at the parties. His parents said that when talking on the phone with him, he seemed to be lucid. He didn't seem to be intoxicated. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't know. So he might not have been 100% you know, functioning. It's also super early in the morning. He just had a big night. So even if he wasn't intoxicated, right. he's probably not, his brain's probably not fully functioning because it's super late. He's getting frustrated, potentially anxious. So, but still leaving his glasses does seem like an odd thing to happen. I'm, I'm asking that question purely like to see like, not see because I'm not a psychologist. I wasn't there. I don't have enough details to try and make any sort of like assessment of like where he's at mentally because as far as I know I wouldn't want to walk away without my glasses but I yeah. guess if you're stressed he's legally blind like that's even worse than my eyesight so I can't imagine him just leaving his glasses interesting um it was concerning they they continued the search they spread out they could not find anything they couldn't find him they couldn't find signs of his clothes and they didn't find signs of a body Now, the concerns were growing because he was near a river at this point. He was near Mud Creek, north of Porter. They actually eventually pulled out search dogs that had caught his scent near that creek. And so some people had wondered maybe he had been wandering around in the dark and fallen into the river. But no matter where they searched, there was just no sign of Brandon, no sign of his belongings, and eventually his cell phone as well went dead, so they couldn't track its location any any longer. Mm. That was actually also part of the hang-up in starting the initial search was they didn't want to infringe on his privacy. So they weren't going to track the cell phone at first, and then eventually they did. But there was no sign of the body. The search continued on, like multiple searches continued on for a few years after oh, wow. Brandon's disappearance. I think the last one was the searches continued on for a few years after the disappearance. Um, according to one article I looked at, the most the la- last major one was in 2013. But the but Ken Anderson, the president of emergency support services in 2015 in the area at that time, said that they were continuing to evaluate and look into different tips. Now there are different theories revolving his disappearance, and I know we're going to talk about that toward the end. Canines that were searching for him did seemed to have traces of the scent that led up to an old farmhouse and farm equipment. However, the police were not able to search the farm property. There were different issues with planting season, farmers not wanting the police on their property. And according to this article that I looked at, Ken Anderson said that the the farmers weren't necessarily being hard, purposely hard to get along with, with, with police. They did make a schedule. They tried to work around harvesting times and different things. They also didn't want the dogs on their property, which I guess could make sense, especially if they have different animals and stuff. I'm really not sure. I'm not a farmer, so I'm not going to try and say why. Yeah. Do you think maybe perhaps a little bit of human, I don't want to say arrogance, but human arrogance would play into that thinking, well, if someone was on this farm, I would know. 
They're possibly, and they even, and Mr. Anderson in the article even said, he said they know their property well, they've gone out and looked as well. So they were working to some extent with law enforcement and with the people searching, but it was still difficult to work around. They couldn't actually get the dogs on the property to search for Brandon. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it's disappointing, but understandable. Yeah. Here, I have a quote specifically speaking about the landowners and different issues with trying to search the farm properties. Yellow Medicine County Sheriff Phil Flayton said that the problem usually arises when law enforcement doesn't have probable cause. Although most property owners try to be accommodating, he said they know their property and they search it and look around as well. But that still um, didn't allow them as much freedom as they wanted to explore and nothing turned up regarding brandon yeah and he's a kind of stupid example even if you know that the farmers have looked over their land and not found anything think of every time you've accused someone of sitting on a tv remote (laughs) even though they should know you would still want to be able to confirm like as silly as an example that is but i can see why i can see why the farmers would say well we've looked but then also why law enforcement and i'm sure brandon's family wanted that verification that validation that someone in official capacity has looked yeah this was an interesting search because several different um law enforcement groups were involved in it it spanned different counties as well Lincoln County Sheriff Jack Vizicki talked about the possibility of Brandon falling into the river and drowning, but he didn't think that it was very likely because his body should have been washed downstream and eventually discovered. And Brandon's mother also didn't think that her son had had fallen in and drowned. Nothing has turned up. Vizicki, according to this article, said that... He didn't eliminate the idea of foul play or criminal mischief. He said the only thing would have been if someone was in the shadows and they got him that way. I can't say there wasn't someone else there, but I can't find any evidence of it. He said that cadaver dogs and searches should have found a body or some evidence if Swanson had succumbed to the elements. So not even to the river, but just dying out from exposure. Yeah. And then I guess if he fell into water... His, his dad was on the phone with him. You would have thought, oh, I heard a splash. or, And then you said he was able to call the phone back. Right. And, and they I, used his phone to search. So that should have yeah. wrecked his phone. You're Which, right. It was 2008. I don't know what kind of phone he would have had then. I know right now that if my phone fell in some water, like, <laughs> ain't no way that sucker is ringing through. So, yeah, I feel like if he fell into water, they would have heard that. Or they wouldn't have been able to call him back or track his phone. Unless, I guess if he went into the water... And his phone stayed on the bank, but then they should have been able to find the phone or unless he was on someone's property. I, I don't know. I that, I think the police are probably right on that one. And his mom, it doesn't sound like water is likely, especially if it was washing out to a lake or something that could be more easily searched. It's not like this creek was going to go out to an ocean somewhere. You know, right. they were in... <laughs> Yeah, it should have turned up. And Vizeki also said, I can't explain why clothing and belongings wouldn't surface. I can't explain why after searching for three weeks, the dogs could not smell anything. So, you know, they really, but the, at the end of the day, they could find nothing. They could find no evidence of foul play, but they could also find no evidence of just Brandon. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. That he's just gone. Yeah. Especially during a phone call. That's what makes this case so um, 
so difficult to wrap your head around. A disappearance is a disappearance. Like they're always scary and crazy. But to think that someone disappeared while trying to be found or allegedly trying to be found, unless, I don't know, we'll get into conspiracy later, but that's just. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. And it's sad because even to this day, there is no resolution to the story. There's no sign of Brandon. We don't know what happened to him. The family doesn't know what happened to him. Someone interviewed his mother years later. This was from an article in 2015 from Twin Cities, which is a Minnesota news source. And they quoted Annette Swanson, his mother, as saying, Maybe I'm a terrible mother for this. I don't know. But I felt very early on, before the first 24 hours were up, that something terribly wrong had happened. It's a weird place to be because there's always a little glimmer of hope. But then I think that's my heart, but my mind knows it's not going to happen that way. I talked to my daughter about it this summer, 2015, and I said to her, you know, I'm not sure Brandon is going to be found in my lifetime. And she said, Mom, I don't think he's going to be found in my lifetime. Oh. Very, very heartbreaking. That would have been seven years after his initial disappearance, right? Yep, because 2008. So, yeah, seven years after. And I couldn't find any article really more recent than that from quoting the parents, like more recent thoughts on it. That's, wow. That's, yeah, I can't imagine. Like thinking about my, like if I had lost my brother like that, no. No, I can't imagine the the not knowing and then having to confront the the thought of I may never know. The article, I also want to read what the end of this article said, and I will link it down below, especially since I'm reading directly from it. But the article writer said the family has never held a memorial service for Brandon. His mother said she's not sure they ever will, but they do keep their porch light burning as they have since the day he disappeared seven years ago. Wow. It's beautiful in a way because like even like she was saying in her quote there's this glimmer of hope and i think that's their porch light like she knows in her head he's not coming home but they keep they're ready waiting for him if you if you ever were to now that's from eight years ago so i don't know if that's still the case but what i do want to focus on with this story because with brandon's story itself like there are some details but there's really not that much we know they searched the body was never found. We don't know if he's alive or dead. We don't know if he's out there today. But what I do want to take a look at is the legislation that resulted from this. Because again, there was some delay in the police joining the search because Brandon was an adult and it wasn't a sign of, you know, there was no confirmed someone was trying to hurt him. It just seemed like he had just gotten lost after a night of partying. It wasn't an emergency. But because of Brandon's disappearance, new legislation was passed by the Minnesota House of Representatives that's actually called Brandon's Law. And it expanded the state's missing children's law to include adults who go missing under dangerous circumstances. So not necessarily criminal circumstances, but dangerous. And they expanded it even beyond young adults like 18 and 19 they also considered adults with dementia as well because they often will wander off and it's not an emergency per se, but it's dangerous because you don't know where they'll end up. Yeah, that's... Yeah. It sounds like it's a good law to have. Um, and according to this law, 
Law enforcement agencies have to take all missing persons reports and begin investigating right away, just like they would do for children under the age of 18. It doesn't matter if it seems to be criminal or suspicious circumstances. It just has to be there's a concern that this person will be in danger. And this came in part because of his mother's eff- of Brandon's mother's efforts and talking with her representative and saying, we need to have something to fix this. We need to have people who can, if someone goes missing, we need to have law enforcement looking for them right away. And so Annette and... Brandon's family was influential in helping get bring attention, bring awareness to get this law passed. And then they were present as well as his sister were present during the governor's signing ceremony. Another group that was influential in getting this law passed in Minnesota was the John Francis Foundation. Now, the John Francis Foundation was interesting to me. I was wondering why they would put in the money because essentially with this law, They also designated that a working group would be convened to create standardized form for law enforcement to use when taking a missing persons report and to develop a model policy that would incorporate standard processes, procedures, and information to be provided to to interested persons regarding developments in a missing person case. And that working group had to have their work completed by September 1st. The John Francis Foundation paid the $10,000 cost for this group to operate, to get those standards in place for law enforcement to follow. The John Francis Foundation was started by David and Linda Francis, who were the parents of a man named John Francis. And I looked into him. He was a 24-year-old man from Minnesota who also disappeared. Now, his circumstances were different than Brandon's. He hadn't been driving and then walking and getting lost. He had actually been hiking alone in the mountains. And he had disappeared in 2006. They didn't find his body until a year later. But here was another case where a family had lost their adult son. It took them a long time to find him. And so Linda and David, knowing the pain that it could cause to lose your adult son, they really helped push getting Brandon's law um, accepted because then they knew that families who do lose an older child, they could still have a resource. They could still have someone looking for their child. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was this sad but beautiful connection where these two sets of parents who had lost an adult son and they have that pain, they could still use their pain and put it toward helping others and getting laws put into place that would help other families that might be going through those same circumstances in the future. It's always amazing to see people who can rise above terrible circumstance and use personal tragedy selflessly mm-hmm. to, or to to take that pain and say, I don't want this to happen to someone else. What can I do to fix that? And for two families to have suffered such a loss, <coughs> to have been able to come together and assist in, in that way, that's I don't know, one of the good parts about being human is seeing how humans are they like to help each other and they like to, they like to fix things. So, yeah. In a way they kept the porch light burning for other families too. And they said, here's our loss, but here's some hope. Here's that glimmer of hope for the future. And apparently not every state has expanded their missing persons law in the same way that this one has. The last source I looked at said four states have similar laws. I couldn't figure out which states were those, but it is something interesting to think about because you do have, you have young adults like Brandon who could disappear just, you know, 
they got lost. Maybe they were at a party. Maybe something happened. And then again, thinking back to people who pushed through Brandon's law, not pushed through, but they uh, mm-hmm. made the law, um, considering individuals with dementia and who would just be prone to wander off. Other people who could be um, at risk for disappearing. There's a lady that I work with, um, even in the sense of people who, who willfully disappear that is the crux of the story. It is a sad story with not much resolution for us, but even in the midst of the tragedy, good came out of it. Um, I looked up the missing... There's the website for... If you look at the website for missing and exploited children, um, which I'll link down below, they still have the poster for Brandon Swanson. They have his picture from when he originally disappeared in 2008 or close to that time frame. And then they have with the missing and exploited children, they have artists who will age up the Mm -hmm. children. So to what he would look like today. And I was looking at the picture and reading the statistics and everything. His photo has been age progressed to 30 years. And looking at it, you know, it looks very similar to his picture from 2008, but I was just thinking, you know, if he is still alive, would he look like that anymore or what would he look like what has he gone through in that amount of time it's just very sobering to think about and even just thinking about this database with so many kids that are missing so many families that don't have their kids and even thinking like 2008 in 2008 that was the year after one of my younger siblings was born like she entered the world and then just a year after another family lost one of theirs like it's just interesting thinking about these are stories, but they're also happening in real time and they're happening, right. some of them, in our lifetime. And just thinking of all these times where we have this, these good circumstances and, you know, just another state, a few states over, then another family is going through one of the worst times of their lives. So I think for me, the story was just very eye-opening and helping me look at, remembering that there's a bigger picture than I just than just me <laughs> and my family and our small circle. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a sobering thought to think what someone else could be going through, even if you what you're going through in life, and then you think of someone else who's going through this other tragedy and how something may seem terrible to you and someone else could be going through this. It's just it's a it's a it's a long line of just that ends with be kind to everyone. You don't know what they're going through. And I don't know. It's again sobering. Yeah. It's a little stupid and it can be cut out. <laughs> wow. Going back to the disappearance, mm-hmm. I know there are different theories, and I know you know a lot about this case, probably more than I do still. <laughs> so I've already mentioned, you know, there's the theory that maybe there was an abandoned building that one of the canines like mm-hmm. led them to, but they weren't able to fully search it. They didn't find anything. Yeah, but do like you know to... of any other theories? There's a couple of different theories. Um, the farm equipment theory goes even further into um, maybe he fell in a field and passed out and then farm equipment ran over him <gasps> and that could be this is again these are all theories um not putting any specific farmer on blast or saying this is definitely what happened but it's a plausible theory for the time i've seen um <clears throat> that posited where maybe he fell and passed out in a field and then was run over by some large piece of farm equipment mm. um and it was either covered up. I don't think you would miss that. Uh, 
or something along those lines where that's what happened and they just don't get closure because someone hit it. Um, but again, that kind of you ha- for that to be true, you have to believe that someone was willing to hide it. Um, despite the fact that I'm not sure legally where they'd stand if they didn't know he was there, he was hidden in crops. Eh. Um, another one that I've seen is there are theories of like body snatchers or someone being out in the field who grabbed him. Uh, one thing that I always think when I think of this case, the reason I know about this case, um, in college I had to do a presentation as if I was pitching a series of articles and I picked this case, um, because quite frankly, I'd heard a podcast about it (laughs) or I'd read about it somewhere and it was interesting to me. And sorry, my lungs don't work quickly. I'm really out of breath. (coughs) Another theory was that somebody grabbed him in the field. One thing I always think about is like Sierra said, we don't curse on this podcast. (laughs) So we're just going to say like a curse word, but he cursed or he cussed and he cussed and then his dad didn't hear him. Another thing I, I wanted to add is you don't see this in every source. The source Sierra was citing earlier, completely reputable. Um, you'll see it linked in the show notes. But one thing that was said, I believe in an interview with his parents, is that they were on the phone with him and then he cussed and they couldn't hear him anymore. And so they called out to him for a couple minutes trying to get his attention. Maybe he dropped the phone. They were worried that he'd passed out or tripped and lost his phone. And so they hung up and called him back, thinking, well, maybe if he passed out, it'll wake him up. Or maybe if he lost his phone and it's dark, it ringing, he'll be able to find it. Um, so I always wonder, how did he say that? Like, what was his tone? And again, we're not going to curse. So don't laugh at us <laughs> when I change this to crap. <laughs> but was it, oh, crap, I'm falling? Or, oh, crap, because you see somebody... Or was it you tripped over a tree root and you're like, oh, crap, as you fall? Or was it – what was his tone? Was he startled? Was he, like, scared? Right, and it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, so we don't know. I saw didn't anyway. So that's another thing, like, the indication of where his mind was at. Because if he, they said, like, he, like, whispered it or seemed surprised or, like, went, oh, crap. That, to me, isn't he fell. That's someone spooked him. Something spooked him. Mm. Or he saw something that spooked him. But if it was, like – I just tripped over something and I'm hitting the ground. Again, tone can be largely indicative of that. And that's kind of a pointless path to go down because we don't know what he sounded like. Um, And that's not really going to tell us what happened. It's not like he went, oh, crap, and then just said, there's a man in the field. You know, like we don't know. Um, Another thing that is a theory that's thrown out rather often. Did you see anything during your research about the sinkhole theory? I I think so in one article, yes. Well, that's just a theory that says that. Where was it? There's somewhere that was known as like the sinkhole capital near there. Minnesota being known as like the sinkhole capital of the world. There were sinkholes known to be forming 30 miles away from where he was at. So what if a sinkhole opened up and he fell into a sinkhole? I've seen it posited that sinkholes can be 10 feet deep. They can be a thousand feet deep. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a tree well. You just don't know how far down you'll go. If you ski the snow with the... Uh Sorry, that's unrelated to sinkholes. It just reminded me of no good good association. Um, if I was more cultured, I might have known what you meant. <laughs> but if it was a sinkhole, if it was a long drop, maybe that's why he swore and fell into a sinkhole. Or maybe he came to the edge of it, tripped into it, dropped his phone. And if it was super deep, they wouldn't hear it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So they wouldn't have heard him fall. Um, I don't know how much I buy into the sinkhole theory. Yeah. I think eventually that would have been discovered. Yeah. Unless, Unless there were there sinkholes was... like on the farm property that they couldn't explore. I don't yeah, know. Well, and what about dogs? That was one thing I saw that it was harder to do searches years after because you needed to have dogs that were trained to right. sniff out aged scents. And so that was something eventually they just couldn't do because they didn't have the canines that could follow the scent that long after. But right. could canines like even sniff out something like a sinkhole? I don't know. That honestly would be a fun tangent Tuesday. Mm. Talking about canines like police dogs. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Because they come up so often you're like, wow, these magic dogs just do all these things. It'd be kind of cool to see exactly what they can do. But yeah, you have the sinkhole theory. You have the water theory. If you look up pictures of the um, Yellow Medicine River. Yeah. Um, well, and there was Mud Creek. There was like Mud, mud creek, creek going into the... Uh, it's not very wide. This one picture I'm looking at right now, there's a massive embankment on one side. One thing we didn't, or so you didn't mention, is when they were looking for him, how his parents had their headlights flashing, and he had his headlights flashing as well, and they couldn't see each other. It's kind of difficult to do over a podcast medium, which is kind of why I recommended that we didn't, <laughs> to try and like Google Maps our way through. But where he thought he was versus where he actually was is is kind of crazy different he chose not to take and this is something that i don't i'm not saying for sure because this is all this is all the, the theories part this is not fact i don't mean to say anything negative about him <laughs> as a person but he had been drinking and instead of taking my highways he took back roads so that might be that he was a little intoxicated and didn't he might have been fine to drive but he didn't want to risk it on a highway yeah. so maybe he got himself turned around because yeah. While he should have been familiar with those main highways, maybe he wasn't as familiar with the back roads, or maybe he wasn't as familiar with the back roads at night. I mean, I'm <laughs> Sierra and I go get coffee before we record the podcast, and I missed our turn for the second week in a row today. <laughs> <laughs> and I've lived here for five years, yeah. so and broad daylight, like I could easily see him getting turned around late at night on roads he's not as familiar with, especially drinking yeah. early in the morning. Like, yeah, you're tired. You're You've been drinking, you've been socializing, you've been out partying. It's the end of the term. You're 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 jazzed and then you're down. Like And finals week before that, most likely. So he was probably also living off that exhaustion. Yeah. Too. Whenever my, my sister's an undergrad right now, whenever I was done with my semester as an undergrad, I'd go out, I'd celebrate with some friends, come home, and then I'd just crash. Mm-hmm. She does the whole like I'm gonna spend the day hanging out with my friends, the next day I'll hang out with my friends, and then when it's time for her to go home, since I live in the area, she comes and she stays with me. Uh, and then usually when she's done with the term, we go back home for like, I'll go for a week and she goes back home for like the season, like Christmas or summer or whatever. But with my work schedule, I usually have to work an extra day during that day. She is dead. Like she's on the couch all day asleep. I call her to check on her. She says two words. She like raids my fridge and she's sleeping. So she, he was probably pretty dang tired. Mm-hmm. And so it's understandable trying to, I can see why he thought he was in one place when he wasn't. But just the entire, like, all the theories of the sinkhole or farm equipment or I'm not sure if another theory is that he was abducted. Mm-hmm. But unless he was being followed, I don't see how that's plausible unless he happened to cross like one farm where a very specific farmer snagged him or something. I almost am wondering about your the farm equipment theory, as in where he got run over, I would almost see that being the most plausible because it would just make sense. Like he had fallen 
and if they had done something like on accident it was still an accident but i could see people wanting to cover that up and and again no trace of him at all like if he had died from the elements something should have turned up especially so many years after like they never found his phone they never found his clothes he was just not found and so you also have the willful disappearance like maybe he just decided to go but the way he went about it yeah calling his parents i don't think that's a disappearing while you're on the phone with your parents and they said that he was walking towards a city to meet them at a nightclub but he just saw lights in the distance what was he walking to a farmhouse like what happened yeah there's also the theory that he fell into a hole or something on someone's property and they didn't know it was there it's literally like there's so many different things that could have happened. I don't. I think his his mother. Unfortunately, I think it's right. I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. Because it's a massive expanse of land, and they looked for him. Mm-hmm. So unless he willfully picked himself up and said, "I'm done. <laughs> I'm gonna leave the car. I'm gonna leave my glasses, but take my phone." I'm like it. <laughs> all in all, the entire story is just. I think it's one of the reasons it sticks to you. It's it's unsettling. We want to think in this world, especially now. In 2008, even, you don't think someone can just disappear. Yeah. And whenever someone does, it's it's unnerving to think that even when you're trying to be found, you could get so lost that now, 15 years later, no one knows what happened. Yeah. And that's just a crazy thought. Yeah. There's a couple of, like, disappearance cases, like Bryceless Pizza... And he disappeared after like some some uh, pretty substantial red flags, um, and I think it's actually like I know a lot of people believe that Bryceless Pizza is still alive <laughs> and living in like a homeless population somewhere. But I don't know what what do you think if you had to hazard a guess what what I'm not gonna say what do you think happened because that's unfair to ask. But what do you find to be the most logical explanation? Like did he fall into some water? Do you think he like wandered onto the wrong property for Brandon? Um, I think either someone hurt him and hid the evidence or there was an accident and someone hid evidence. I do think people had to be involved because it just seems highly unlikely to me that all of his belongings and all traces of him would not be there. Right. I'm going to, I would rule out willful disappearance because like you said, like he was trying to contact his family, which I mean, I guess you could do that if you wanted to have a really theatrical disappearance, but the fact that he had been partying, so he may or may not have been somewhat inebriated. The timing of it all, trying to contact his parents. I don't know. I just don't think he was in a mental state to conduct a good disappearance. Yeah, and he'd been with friends that night. And I feel like if it was the last time, I don't know. I feel like it was the last time your friend was ever planning on seeing you. Somehow you would maybe pick up that there was some sort of heaviness yeah. there. So... And it's clear his parents cared a lot about him. So which oh, yeah. doesn't mean that someone's always going to stay with their family just because they have loving family. But from what it seems like to me, he had no reason to just choose to disappear. Right. And clearly, I mean, he called his parents at 2 a.m. to come find him. Yeah. Like, there, that speaks to, at the very least, some sort of parental, you trust your parents. Right. And you have yeah. some sort of relationship. Like, you're calling him at 2 a.m. being like, can you come find me? I'm on a back road. Like... I don't know. I think the most likely explanation, personally, is someone either willfully or accidentally harmed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or sometimes I think maybe he just like. I don't know if it's. I I I think this because it scares me. 
Um, or maybe he like fell in a hole somewhere and it just, he never was found and it was on someone's private property and they never found him and police dogs were never allowed on the property. So they never found him. <sighs> it's just, there's n- no number to, ex- no number of explanations and no, no good solid leads. So yeah, maybe one day we'll wake up and they'll, they'll have found him. Uh, but I think it's going to stay a disappearance. And I think the only thing we'll ever see come from this is, is the work that his family's done. Yeah. So, but at least there's that, like, again, it's inspiring. They have this tragedy, but they thought, how can we help other families that might go through this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. So that is the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. It is. Now, for this season, it is a season, right, for podcasts? Is it the I same as TV shows? call it a season. I think we can call it whatever we want. In this season of life, for everything, there is a season. <laughs> we decided we wanted to start ending the episodes with something a little bit more lighthearted. If you don't care for that sort of chit-chat and stuff, then you can click out right now. We'll see you next time. But otherwise, we wanted to end it on a more positive note just to kind of, yeah. since things were so low and so serious, let's bring it back a little bit. So. And to also avoid us ending by saying everything is so sad. <laughs> Which you- we said, I didn't have it gone back. We probably said that like every week. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to ask my mom. She does listen to our episode. Well, she's only to the Tylenol case right now, but she does listen. She says that we say the word interesting a lot. <laughs> <gasps> we do. We do. And every time I say it, I just, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> it again. Oh, great. I'm not going to stop. What's a, what's a synonym for interesting? Hmm. <laughs> intriguing. Fascinating. I think we probably also say fascinating. I, intriguing. Huh. I do like intriguing. I feel like we, I I know I say huh quite a bit. Um maybe we cut that out along I think with I say all. yeah a lot. Now yeah. I'm just angry every single word I say. <laughs> okay. Okay, my lighthearted thing is brought to you courtesy of my students because I asked them what their favorite words were, and they had some very fun ones. Um, some of them were nice, like, you know, a love, you know, because it's a beautiful word. It means all these things. Or ascension, to rise above it all. It's a beautiful word. That came from a <laughs> finance major. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh. but my favorite was that I have, I'm teaching three sections of this class. And in two sections, these two people, whom I'm pretty sure do not know each other, both said that their favorite word was defenestrate or defenestration, which is the act of throwing someone out a window. That was so random that these two freshmen, freshmen from two different sections, said their favorite word was defenestrate. Well, I feel like that was probably a tweet or something. We're just not cool enough to have seen it. (laughs) Maybe, but I was like, "Wow, okay, that's fun." And so then I used in our review, I made a sentence where defenestrate was used, and they thought that was fun. That is pretty fun to throw someone. I don't know if it's exactly positive and uplifting because you are throwing someone out a window, but I. Um. a funny word it is a funny word it's funny that we have a word that specific i wonder like <laughs> let me look it up history of defenestrate you give us your say, what's the etymology thought? of that word um i'll have to think of positive a finistra, latin there's a latin basis yeah oh. that's the rich definition it could also mean remove or dismiss someone from a position of power or authority which if you defenestrate them in the literal sense as well like you're doing both the act of defenestration the term was coined around the time of an incident in is it Prague? Prague oh. Castle in the year 1618, which became the spark that started the Thirty Years' War. Oh, this was done in good bohemian style, referring to the defenestration which had occurred in Prague's new town hall almost 200 years earlier. And that, and on that occasion led to the Hussite War, 
The word comes from the Neo-Latin D, down from, Finistra, window or opening. Oh my goodness. Interesting. That's fun. I see and I both took Latin in college, so I'm glad that that's coming back to, to pay off for us. Wow. Oh, they have like this picture. Oh, a demonstration of an administration. This man with a fabulous mustache is getting yeeted out a window. Oh, yeet. That's lovely. Uh, I'm trying to think of a positive thought. Sorry, guys. That wasn't very positive, but I thought it was I mean, interesting. It's, it's, a fun, it's a fun thought. <sighs> I'm not a very positive gal. Um, one of my brother's favorite words is Flammenwerfer, which is apparently... I probably said that wrong. Flammenwerfer? Flammenwerfer. Werfer? Flammenwerfer? It's German for flamethrower. <laughs> oh, We have violent... We know people who have violent favorite words. I guess so. I guess he's in keeping with our true crime podcast. Excellent German accent, which is very funny. Like, ugh, he's a funny guy. Um, what's a positive? I, I'm not a positive person. It's been a weird week, gang. Like, um, oh, it's not a positive thought, but it can start a positive conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yesterday I found. I didn't find it. My sister found it. <laughs> a limited edition um, equals vinyl, the Ed Sheeran album vinyl. Ooh. Um, at a vinyl record shop, like a hole in the wall place. And it was the limited edition red vinyl. Ooh. So now I'm slowly growing my Ed Sheeran vinyl army. Ooh. So I don't see how that's not a positive. That doesn't I mean, seem like a negative to me. I mean, I spent money. <laughs> that's fine. Um, it's not really like a positive thought. Like it's not like an uplifting thought, but it's like that's a positive thing that happened to me this week. When I was a teenager, I was all my chemical romance and like emo punk music, and I still am, but I'm also <laughs> an Ed Sheeran fanatic now. Um, is that lame? I feel like that's lame. You like Ed Sheeran now? Yeah. My sisters would tell you it's lame, but uh, I don't think it's lame. He's a positive person, I would say. I used to be so cool. I mean, my Spotify wrapped is usually like modern rock, like punk and blah blah now it's gonna be whatever ed sheeran is <laughs> you go to one ed sheeran conference and suddenly life is changing tides <laughs> i have grown up i am a podcaster now <laughs> listen to autumn variations it's wonderful it's magical <laughs> oh my goodness um I will not apologize for being a Ed Sheeran fan. Although if I met my 14-year-old self and said that I was really into Ed Sheeran, she'd be like, the A-team, dude? <laughs> <sighs> I'd be like, shut up 10 years ago, me. I think it's a positive way to end the episode. Defenestration and red vinyls. Defenestration and red vinyls, indeed. Next week... <laughs> <laughs> Next week, it's my case, and we're going to be doing the podcast first, Cannibal. Ooh. Um, we'll let you wonder who it is. <laughs> um, it's actually a recommendation from my mother, who is absolutely <laughs> not a, a true crime person. And ironically, like we said before, that I was the true crime. I don't want to say fanatic. It makes me seem creepy. You're the expert. Oh, I'm here for the ride. He's the expert. I'm a true crime connoisseur. <laughs> connoisseur. <laughs> Something even worse. Um, especially I, since we're talking about cannibalism. Oh shoot. <laughs> um, but I've been into true crime for several years and one thing that I, I avoid is I do not like cannibalism cases but I handle gore even worse <laughs> <laughs> which I'm a vegetarian if that tells you anything 
immediately. You don't need to specify that. No one thinks you're a, you're a cannibal. No, I was specifying that I don't even eat animals, so the thought of eating a person makes me want to die. <laughs> Cut that out, please. <laughs> or don't do whatever. But so, not only did my my non true crime enthused mother find a case that grossed me out. <laughs> I get to talk about cannibals, which I think is the one thing I said I wouldn't do when I started this podcast. <laughs> so join us next week for the story of a Scottish cannibal. That's your only Ooh, hint. Scottish? Scottish. Ooh. Who may or may not have been as, as real as history says he is. Oh. But that wraps us up for this week. So remember, defenestration and red vinyls, but also... Be aware. Take care. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>